You know, Zach, when you said the loser of our opening fantasy football matchup in the Selby is Godcast League will be forced to watch yet another no-hitter, I didn't think you were serious. You're listening to the Selby is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable! And now for what you've been waiting for all weekend. No-hitter discussion and conversations about how our fantasy football squads are going. What is up, my <laughs> you, brother? You don't want to debate Baker Mayfield's future <laughs> contract? No, I think that's being covered plenty everywhere around and get slapped in the face by that just through the airwaves can i just say one thing about the browns you could say as many things as you want they're really really good and no matter what happens the rest of the regular season uh what happened in week one won't mean a damn thing the end well welcome to the show so selby is godcast i'm tj zuppi he's zach meisel we try to keep football talk to a minimum but We begin today's show by following up on what our listeners have been sending us all weekend. So the Indians get no hit on Saturday. (laughs) The mentions are full of people asking if we predicted that in what we discussed on our Patreon show at patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast, where you said the loser of our opening fantasy football league matchup in week one would be forced to watch a no hitter. And we laughed. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just wait for that. That'll happen in any minute. And then it did. (laughs) And you were in attendance for it. And last time I checked the scoreboard, you have a 1% chance of beating me in week one. So I'm just saying, just saying. Yeah, it played out exactly how we forecasted. You know, when they got no hit by Carlos Rodon in April, and I think a lot of people... Their commentary was, well, still five months left in the season. This won't be the last time. And like we roll our eyes because, you know, that's what people always say that same thing. You know, it's hashtag fire Van Berkeley. And, um, you know, just the, the same, the same comments. But I mean, it was warranted, right? And then lo and behold, a few weeks later, Wade Miley throws a no hitter in Cleveland. And at that point, it was, okay, they've been no-hit twice. No team has ever been no-hit three times in a season. And everyone was replying at that point, well, they still have four and a half months to to be no-hit again. It'll happen. This will be a historic season. And again, it's like, usually I just like groan at those replies. But, you know, those people had, they had a point. This offense is susceptible to that kind of thing. And then in July... They took it down to the wire, though. But then in July, they have the doubleheader in Tampa. And the second game of that, a seven-inning game, they get no hit, but it's considered by the league and the Elias Sports Bureau to be a notable achievement, not an official no-hitter. To which everybody's reaction was, well, that's okay, because you got three months left. They'll surely set the record. And again... Normally, the type of comment that I would say, oh, I need to stop looking at my mentions and reading the comments, but it's hard to dispute that. And here we are, middle of September, 
and they have set the record. <laughs> so how about just we take a moment here to acknowledge this team making history. Um, you know, it, you go into a season never knowing what to expect and what you're going to see, and here we are. I mean, we've witnessed something that's never happened. Pretty cool. Big-time stars perform in the moments where they need it the most, and for that record to happen, <laughs> it needed to take place before the end of this month. But I think you do have to appreciate that you get you you get to see something that no one had ever seen before. And they tried really hard this week to get that done. In fact, they tried so hard that they even wanted to extend the record. Yeah, hang on. on Sunday. You say that no one had ever seen before, but I swear I feel like I see it twice a week. <laughs> yeah, I joked that you have the template already thrown together, but at this point you would probably be saving yourself time if you had the game story ready to go. Just plug in the pitcher, plug in the date, plug in the team and the pitch count, and you're pretty much set to go. Corbin Burns, the way he was throwing on Saturday, I, I almost texted you in the second inning. I was at a birthday party, so I didn't see much of the game, but I almost texted you. I think he, he struck out Fran Mill Reyes to begin the top of the set or the bottom of the second, that that a perfect game was happening. And I, I roll my eyes, too, when I hear someone say, oh, well, that pitcher was so good, he could have beat anybody on that night. And even Chris Antonetti said that yesterday. He's like, oh, well, it was a tough night to be a, a hitter. But with the, with the way Burns was throwing, that he probably would have done that to a lot of teams. And typically I go, oh, okay, whatever. That dude looked like he could have done that to anybody on Saturday night. And he's truly one of the best pitchers in the National League. May have an outside shot of winning the, the Cy Young Award. He's, he's truly that good. So it was a perfect storm where I think our buddy Anthony Kastrovin said it best. You had Burns throwing. He was throwing to the Cleveland Indians, who had already been no-hit twice or maybe a third time, depending on how you count on it. And Zach Plesak was on the mound. Could, could there have been a more perfect storm than that? The guy that it's been on the mound all three times that it's been an official no-hitter? I mean, have come you, on. Have you seen the movie, The Perfect Storm? Was that George Clooney? I don't know. I haven't watched it. No, maybe I saw part too. of it. Remember when, when network TV used to air movies? On the weekends, like there'd be a Friday or Saturday night movie event on ABC. I think I may, might have caught a piece of it on a network movie premiere. I mean, you make a good point about Burns. I mean, every single at bat that night, hitters looked uncomfortable. They looked overmatched. Um, they looked like they were kind of fighting for their lives, just hoping to make semi-solid contact and bloop a single or something. I mean, it just... it. it yeah, there are certain days when you just know. I mean, that looked like like if the Indians were going to get a hit, it was going to be by accident. I mean, I just at no point did they did you feel like a hitter had an advantage. And once he got past Jose Ramirez, I mean, it was smooth sailing from there. Framo Reyes looked totally lost. The bottom of the lineup was not exactly full of juggernauts, so yeah, it's just it's there's there's a lot of takeaways we can have here, and I think one is I mean first of all this is the ninth no hitter, and that doesn't include I think two notable achievements. So you've had eleven hitless games in the majors. I, I think we talked about this like really early on in the season. Like, do they have the same mystique? Um, does it feel the same? Is it as cool? I don't think so anymore. Um, at this point, especially when. I mean, I've, we've seen four of them. It's, it's just, it happens now. You, you, you know, you you say, you joked like, oh, you just have the template where you fill in the pitcher and how many pitches he threw. But it's interesting you say that because 
you know, I, I, I wanted to write something Saturday night after it happened. Part of me is like, ugh, is this even news anymore? <laughs> like, we see these all the time. Do I need to write something? But it's not just write what happened, Corbin Burns threw a no-hitter. I think it underscores the larger issue. and Obviously, one we've talked about plenty because the season's almost over, but it, it doesn't matter. You know, if they got one hit, I don't think it would have changed the tenor of the conversation. It is the fact that Joe Ryan in his second major league outing carried a perfect game into the seventh inning three nights earlier. It is related to the fact that they had just snapped a 25-inning scoreless streak and then they embark on a 15-inning or 14-inning <laughs> hitless streak. It's the fact that like, those things don't really matter in terms of 2022, which is what everything's about right now, um, because you're not going to have the same lineup. But the point is you're not going to have the same lineup. <laughs> like No one has stood out on the position player side in terms of young players growing and developing. And we should talk, you know, at what point, and it's not just because Corbin Burns threw a no-hitter the other night, but Ty Van Berkeley was the longest tenured hitting coach in the league. And Victor Rodriguez has been his the Robin to his Batman for the last four years. And we've talked about how they've made some changes on the coaching side and they've really analyzed what they need to do on the just the hitting development realm. But at what point do you feel like you need to make some changes? and look inward just to do it. And I've said, and people have called me out on this. And I, I said recently, like, you know, go ahead, like fire Van Berkeley if you want during the season. I don't know that that's going to make any difference in season, but if you want to make a change in the off season, just because you've had the same setup for now nine years, I mean, who's going to argue with that? I just, you haven't seen the development. I think you would have hoped to see. You're going to have a much younger lineup here moving forward than you had you know, when you had Lindor and Napoli and all the veterans in 2016 to 2019. Um, so maybe you want a younger voice to, to pair with them. I don't know. I just, I think the overarching theme to me, and it's kind of what I wrote, is that it's not just a no-hitter, but it's just, it, it gives us a chance to really dissect where this offense is and where it's heading. And I just wonder if, it's heading in the right direction. Because at this point, I mean, my headline of my story was, is is this Indian's offense ready to represent a contender in 2022? No, no, no. And I mean, I think that's the bottom line. Yeah, I think, and we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. The point was never to sing the praises of the hitting staff. It's always just to come back to my central point is I'd never know where to give credit and where to take credit away because there's no... I don't know, counterfactual here. There's no way of seeing what would have happened in a scenario where they had a different hitting coach or a different philosophy. And there's not a like this long list of players, and I'm talking younger players that have gone elsewhere and had tremendous success. We talked some about Jesus Aguilar. And I think a large part of that is just opportunity. Giovanni Urshela, yeah. And there were some changes that took place when he joined New York, certainly. That's one guy. I, yeah, I, I am, am I to believe that some of the young players that they've had come through the system would have been better with a different hitting coach? Well, I haven't seen a lot of them go elsewhere and have a ton of success. So when I'm looking at it that way, 
I don't know if it's just that the players aren't capable of being better or if it's the hitting staff that's not capable of being better. And then when you have guys that have all-star seasons or you you have growth from guys like Lindor and, and Ramirez throughout their careers, two guys that weren't expected to be big-time power threats that became that in your offense, and Ramirez is still that. I, I don't know, do you give hitting coaches credit for that or do you just say, well, no, those are two really good players. So my thought is never... I think they're fine. And my thought is never, I just fire them all. I I don't know what the, the answer should be because assistant coaches are one of the most difficult things to evaluate. Mm -hmm. And you can get some opinions from players, but there are times, you know, are, are are players going to throw the coaches under the bus? And those are going to be the only reasons why they haven't succeeded. A lot of players will look inward and say that it's on them. And maybe, Maybe you do hear at, at some point, some players say, oh, well, this could have been better. That could have been better. But that's also one opinion. And you never know. They just didn't blend. You know, so I, I never know how much credit to give, how much credit to take away. But I think you're right about one thing. If the point is this offseason, we want to try something new just for the sake of trying something new because it's been this one way for a long time. I can understand that thought. I, I don't have any other tangible evidence other than the fact that the offense, there's been a, a number of young players that haven't grown to say that the hitting coaches or Ty Van Berkeley in particular is bad. But at the same time, I'm also curious and I'm interested to see what a different voice would do inside that room. I'm not saying that it would make a huge difference because I'm, I, I, I truly don't know. And I'm not afraid to say I don't know when I don't know. But I also believe that with the way the game has has grown and data has become a big part of what is happening on the pitching side and on the hitting side, and it's probably growing more on the hitting side now as teams are learning a little bit more about what works and what doesn't, I understand the thought process uh, in, if this the organization wants to go this way. We want to try something different. We want to I hate to say throw something at the wall because I think you want to be a little bit more precise in what you're doing than just trying shit out. But at the same time, when it's been one way for a long time and you've had a lot of young players not grow the way that you hoped, then I would understand that thought process. Here are the teams that rank behind Cleveland in WRC plus this season, the Royals, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, the Pirates, and the Rockies. That's not the company you want to keep. <laughs> and that's it. Cleveland ranks 24th. And I know it's they don't have a ton of talent, so it's not like you're expecting this group to be top five. Um, but it hasn't been good. And you haven't seen progress. I think that's, you know, you've seen a good week from Yu Chang, a good at bat here and there from Owen Miller, not much from Andres Jimenez, you know, and Ahmed Rosario credit to him. He's, he's done what he did in 2019 again, but if that's it, I mean, he's still like a tick below league average offensively. So I you haven't seen anything from the outfielders. Zimmer was, we talked about him for 11 straight podcasts and, you know, he was hitting home runs to Jupiter and uh, anyone talking about him for the last couple of weeks. No, so I just, I don't know, this is not, it's so easy to just pin the blame on the hitting coach or when the pitching's going bad, pin the blame on the pitching coach. And we all think that if you just replace this person with 
someone internally right now who wasn't prepared to be doing that job because someone else was doing it, <laughs> like that everything will be great. <laughs> it's just not how it works. And so, well, sometimes it does. I mean, it took them overhauling what they were doing when Tito took over in 2013 to put them on a path of creating better pitchers. But I'm saying, but that doesn't just, guarantee anything. I'm, I'm saying making a switch in season and just everything will be better. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah we're I, on the same page there. So I, I think if, if you're going to make a change there, it's not just the hitting coach. It's, it's the whole philosophy and approach throughout the organization, because are these guys doing enough? Are they getting the proper instruction in the minor leagues when they're headed up to the majors? I mean, they, the big thing and the thing that makes the pitching factory work so well is the communication between the levels so that when, like, especially when pitchers get to the major leagues, like Carl Willis knows who this person is and Ruben Niebla knows who this person is. And they have these reports from front office people and coaches and, and it's just, everyone's on the same page. And so it's not like you get to the major leagues and you're a pitcher and all of a sudden Carl Willis is like, no, nah, you need to throw a more sliders and this person has thrown like 10 sliders in their life. No, there, there's everyone's on the same page and they know the report on and the profile. And um, so it, it's not just like a hitter gets to the majors and Van Berke is like, Oh, you need to choke up on the bat or I don't know, you know, open your stance more. Um, you know, you, 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 it, you have to go by what they've been working on and what they, the instruction has been. And then, maybe make some changes after a while if it's not working. So it's not just one person who's to blame, but it's one person who's been here for a long time. And I just, you know, when have we, the offense was pretty good in 2016 and 2017. They had a loaded lineup in 2017. But do you remember a time when we were like, when people weren't calling for Van Berkeley's job? <laughs> I feel like that's never oh, been the case. No, no, it's never been the case. I, The closest thing I've... To forming some sort of theory about this, you know, like we've talked about before, maybe you can look at something like plate discipline and say that's a, that's an area where coaching can help you, maybe arm you with the best advice, help you to determine where you want to be targeting your swings to help generate the most power. But all all hitters are different, so you you could say that that's something you want to look at. But you also have to remember that. Lineup construction matters here. Then if I have a bunch of free swingers in the lineup and that's their tendency, even if you help them to be a little bit more patient and disciplined at the plate, they're probably still going to be swinging at a lot of pitches outside the strike zone. And I think of, you know, the free, sw free swingers they've had on their team this year. You know, I'm thinking about Ahmed Rosario. I'm thinking about Harold Ramirez. And those are guys that, that get a number of at-bats. And so the Indians this year are currently 11th from the bottom in O swing percentage, which is the number of pitches they swing at outside the strike zone. And that tells you, okay, well, they're a little bit below middle of the pack. And as I look at that, I feel like that pretty much sums up where their hitting philosophy probably ranks in that I'm not, if you, you had to say good or bad, what is, what is Ty Van Berkeley? I, I, I think he's probably somewhere in the middle. And I think that's probably been pretty close to what this whole tenure has been just not great, not terrible, just sort of existing. And if I had to boil it down to one thought, again, this is just a theory from the outside with very little information, I would say that they're probably okay, but what is being done 
doesn't help the hitters maybe reach into their ceiling as best as they can. That it's it exists and it's not like bad things are taking place or growth is being stunted. But as far as achieving your top level of what you can be, the philosophy hasn't worked consistently to that level. Does, does that make sense? I'm trying to form this on the yeah, fly well, as I work through that that opinion. It's admittedly difficult for us to evaluate because, I mean, I can speak to the fact that, I mean, I had people asking me for years, can you please examine why this team has not drafted and developed an all-star outfielder in 30 years? Can you please explain what their hitting philosophies are and what they're doing and why they can't, they can develop pitchers so well, but can't do it on the hitting side. And look, I looked into this for over a year probably. (laughs) And then the actual reporting on it took months. And I wrote a 4,000 word piece in, I think May. And I wish I could have gone even deeper. I wish I could have talked to more people. I wish I could have explained it with more clarity. You know, I was happy with what I wrote. Where, which was the main takeaway was, look, they admit, like, we wish we had a hitting yeah. factory too, but it's just so difficult and you don't know. There's a lot of just uncharted territory on the hitting side. And on the pitching side, you know, a lot of teams, the Indians are certainly at the forefront, but there are a lot of teams who feel really good about what they're doing on that side because of more data and technology. And we've talked about that in depth, but the hitting side is kind of this, New frontier, and I think a lot of teams are wondering if what they're doing is correct and if there are better ways to operate. And uh, the Indians are certainly one of them. It's it's just like because they aren't quite positive that they're headed in the right direction, they're obviously not going to – first of all, they're not going to admit like, hey, we suck at this. You know, To be able to get people to say that, hey, we're trying to to replicate what we have on the pitching side was – enlightening enough to me but um you know it's it's difficult and they're not going to let you in on every little secret and you know i think we can only react to what we see and what we see is just i mean they they went since tuesday they're 24 for 181 as a team at the plate they've scored eight runs what is that five six days six days 24 for 181 as a team yeah and the thing that makes it so confounding is this this is a different team than what they were when they got no hit twice earlier this year. It's a different makeup. This is not the same squad. And wasn't this the same team that just went streaking via the home run for 20 games where the offense looked okay, middle of the pack even. And then they come in through this week and they just get buried. And I think that adds to the, the frustration level here because Antonetti even said yesterday, you know, we've seen some signs and you groan and roll your eyes. Yeah, sure you have. But at times this offense has looked okay. Um, and the top four when clicking has been tremendous. But it's that that younger player growth that just has not happened. You're looking for like one of those younger players to pop. And outside of maybe a hot week stretch here and there for Yu Chang or Bradley Zimmer, uh, Owen Miller hitting the ball a little bit harder, it just hasn't been there. And you're looking at building blocks for this team. You know, I think we've we've honed in on four of them. Ramirez and Franmil Reyes, certainly, and Straw and Rosario. Well, Straw, they just acquired at the trade deadline, so that wasn't really something that they developed. And Ahmed Rosario, while he's been pretty good this year for maybe what you were expecting, 
he's still just tapping into maybe what he was in 2019 with the Mets. So the four guys that you feel really good about, two of them were already here. And the two that you've added, one was already kind of at this level a couple of years ago. And the other one you traded for at the deadline. Well, so I would argue much... Framo Reyes is, he was pretty established when they traded for him. Right, right, right. He was, he's, and he continues to do a lot of the same. And I think there has been some growth with him too, but like I, you would just feel so much better about the situation. I think at least from the guys that are currently on the major league level, if one more of the young players had shown up and shown some real legitimate, consistent growth, and that hasn't been there. And I think maybe the question that the organization is going to have to ask themselves this offseason, they they love being at the forefront of pitching and being one of the top teams in developing pitching. It hasn't been that way on the offensive side of things. And I, I again, to come back to my theory, I don't think that they're bad, but they have to ask themselves, are they OK with just kind of being middle of the road or do they want to be at the forefront of developing hitting? And maybe that's going to take some tough decisions. Because we've seen teams like the Dodgers and the Giants and what they're doing this year and what they have been doing for the past several years in the Dodgers case, they are doing something. So do you want to just kind of be meh when it comes to that side of things? Or do you want to try something different to try to get to the level of some of the other organizations on the hitting side? And does being no hit again and again and again and again and establishing this new major league record hammer home that point even more does being no hit so many times and setting this record qualify as maybe a good thing <laughs> because it reinforces <laughs> is look it, is getting no hit actually good <laughs> well I, I mean i don't actually believe that but i i think you can no, I, I know what you're saying I think you can spin it this way if you want, where like... If you're just looking for the catalyst to get it done. I will never forget sitting down with Paul Dolan for the infamous <laughs> interview and him saying that he looks at things with a much rosier outlook than everyone else. Well, how are you How are you spinning this in a rosy manner? <laughs> you just and, have been. Well, no, but here, here's my thing. We agree this rotation is postseason caliber in 2022, correct? Yeah, I, I would think it's definitely in the upper third of Major League Baseball. Okay. And with room to grow. I mean, these guys are 24 yeah. to 26 I'm years being kind of conservative in that estimate, but yeah. Okay. So, rotations playoff caliber. Bullpen, I mean, you've got Class A as the anchor, which is great. You're going to need to fill in some spots, but that's that's least important on the priority list. So, like, you can probably figure that out. And as you said, the top four in your lineup, Feel pretty good about those guys. So it's imperative, especially in an offseason where they say they will increase the payroll and there is excitement because there's a new team name and you got to sell merchandise and there's renovations coming and maybe a new minority investor can pump some cash into the operation. All this stuff, good stuff, right? So it's imperative that you fix the lineup and you plug some holes. And if that wasn't clear before that... You know, if you were going into this thinking, oh, like maybe we can just swing one trade for an outfielder or sign another Eddie Rosario type, um, like that should be good. And like Zimmer can start, like, no, this should hammer home the point that you need changes, plural. You need additions, plural, that it's going to actually take some effort and some spending from ownership 
and some shrewd trades by the front office and some aggressiveness for once during an offseason. Because I think it's there. And I think, I think first and foremost, and we've talked about this, I don't want to belabor the point. It's critical that you give fans some juice, some excitement this offseason. Because again, think you're going to want to sell some Guardians merchandise, right? I think you're going to want to get fans excited after just kind of ripping the carpet out from underneath them the previous couple of years by just stripping the payroll down to the studs, trading away all these guys and rebuilding on the fly. You know, you've you've definitely I think we've talked about it, apathy set in there. And you don't that's that's just a terrible thing to have. You don't want that. So you need to provide some excitement. And the way to do that is to build a team people can get excited about. And you have the tools to do that. And it's just the one, th- I mean, the main point of emphasis here is you've got to fix the outfield. That has been an issue for years and years and years, um, for decades and decades even. You've got to fix the outfield. You have to go trade for at least one, if not two, established contributors in the outfield. You've got to have an answer at first base. You've got to find someone who can hit and play second base. And yeah, you can just let young kids keep auditioning next year if you want. You know, Owen Miller didn't really work out so far this year. And Yu Chang hasn't really been overly inspiring. And Andres Jimenez hasn't hit. So you could just go to Gabriel Arias and Richie Palacios and see who's next. You could give Oscar Gonzalez a chance in the outfield. I mean, you can do that. Or you can go get established players and then let the young kids force their way into the decision making. But like you, you have to, you have to give fans a reason to be excited, and maybe being no hit over and over and over again, you know. If, <laughs> again, if those were one hitters instead of no hitters, they don't set a record. But we should still be talking no. about this in the same vein. No, the point. I think still that's there. the point, and I think, I, I just, I think it's critical that you you go out and you get several proven guys who can make this offense better, so that. You know, on a night when Corbin Burns is really good, you don't just throw up your hands and say, well, we don't have a chance tonight. It's over. No, because you have hitters that Corbin Burns is worried about. Like, it, it, it doesn't have to always be the other way around where the pitcher, the other team dictates what's going to happen. Get some hitters in there who can dictate the action, who other pitchers fear having to face. One of the things I... I really love about the way we do this podcast is we keep our preparation of the show to a minimum and we often tell each other, you know, save it for the show, save it for the podcast. I, I'm, I'm not here to rip on how anybody else does their show. You, you do it how you feel comfortable, but I appreciate that we kind of let this organically flow. And a lot of times we come in without a fully formed opinion and we try to work that out on the show and we acknowledge that this will change with more information and we don't have all the answers at every given moment in time. And sometimes the answer is, I don't know. So all of that gets thrown together. We weren't really planning on having a full flown, a full blown conversation about this, but here we are. And I appreciate that this is going to continue. My one last thought on this, you have a lot of these young players at the organization, the front office has bet on by trading for Owen Miller, for trading for Andres Jimenez, for Drafting and developing Bobby Bradley and you know some of the guys that they've picked up in the outfield or you know, traded for or drafted like Bradley Zimmer. And at some point, the front office believed in all of these players being or at least having a shot at being productive major league players. At some point, don't you have to look at this and say, 
either we were wrong about betting on these players. Maybe Jake Bowers falls into that category. We were wrong to believe that this could be an above average player or something in the pipeline is not working here, whether it's somewhere through the development or it's at the major league level. But at some point, doesn't somebody have to take the blame for that? Either no the player's doubt. not good yeah. enough, and that's on the front office, or the player's not being, everything's not being brought out of the players, and that's on your assistance in the coaching and the development. It, it's been a positive year, which seems crazy to say this, given what we saw in June and July. It's been a positive year for the pitching starting pitching side. The growth of McKenzie and Quantrill has been just a critical development, and I think everyone should feel good about those guys going into next season and that rounds out your rotation and that's that's key it gets you back to where you were starting pitching wise a few years ago not saying those guys are all going to win Cy Young awards and be all-stars but I'm saying in terms of you have your foundation of your team and you can start building the rest but I mean again like on the position player side I just there's been like nothing positive to take away aside from Ahmed Rosario and even that's like every time we talk about like hey he's been pretty good at the plate but I don't know where he fits yeah. beyond this season. And we're not talking about an all-star here. We're talking about definitely a step below that. Like, uh, again, building block. Same thing with Miles Straw, building block. But on your best team, when you're trying to compete, are those two guys in your top four? Shouldn't be. Right. So, uh, And the, the other thing is, I mean, first of all, like a league average WRC plus is like mana from heaven for this team. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like Rosario's not there. I think it's it's Ramirez, Reyes, Bradley, and Straw. Straw's not there. No, who's there? There's a fourth. Um, but like you're getting nothing from catcher, and you can live with that. But then you have to get something from left field, and or right field, and, and or it, first base. Yeah, you can't you can't have a lineup full of league average bats if the catcher is at a forty. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work. And so the I think the thing that's difficult is I think I mean you're running out of time there's three weeks remaining and I don't know that you know a three-week tear by Owen Miller or Andres Jimenez or maybe Bobby Bradley because he's shown signs of being at least competent but you know Oscar Mercado hitting the ball pretty well for three weeks is that going to change anything at this point I don't know and the other thing is like a lot of these guys aren't playing every single day so there's three weeks left in the season, but you might only get two weeks worth of at bats. So it's just it's tough. You're yeah. running out of time. What I, I would I don't be... know that. Go ahead and finish. I was just gonna say I don't know that there's enough time left for anyone to change anyone's minds. What I would be super curious about is what I mean. We all kind of have our own individual things that we look for, but what is the front office looking for underneath the hood, so to speak, that makes them believe in one player more than another? You know, what, what, what is going to separate Harold Ramirez from Oscar Mercado, from Bradley Zimmer, from Daniel Johnson, from Owen Miller, from Andres Jimenez, from Bobby Bradley, the list goes on and on. Cause you're not going to keep all those guys. You shouldn't keep all of those guys. So how do you sift through the noise to be able to find something that you really want to bet on? And like I said, we all had to kind of have those thoughts for Bobby Bradley. It's the power for Maybe it's for Bradley Zimmer. It's the ability to steal bases and the fact that we've seen him hit the ball to Jupiter. And so you say, yeah, don't want to quite give up on that yet. But I'm curious to see what sorts of things where I would be really curious to know 
what sorts of things the front office is going to be looking at, because I think you say it's a tough decision, but haven't you, aren't you pretty close to getting an answer on a number of these guys because you three, three weeks, isn't going to change your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't the answer being, you're being slapped in the face right now by the answer on a number of these guys. And it, and it, it doesn't even have to be that you cut them, but it, it certainly is. This is not someone that you're handing a starting job to and counting on for anything more than just depth at this point until they change your mind. No doubt. And you can find depth anywhere because they've got depth in the minor leagues. They've got guys who could do that. So that's when the 40 man roster comes into the conversation and it's just, Hey, you know, maybe Oscar Mercado will figure it out down the line, but you just don't have time. Can't, can't keep reserving a 40 man roster spot for you. Well, the Indians do for all of the, the players that maybe shouldn't be in the top four of a really good offense. They have one that, definitely should be and that's jose ramirez that is still despite the fact that he isn't having uh a, a, you know a tremendous offense offensive season is still having a really good offensive season and because you also have base running and defense on most nights this is someone that you might not know it but should be probably pretty close to a top five mvp talent again this year and this is someone that's been a finalist what three times in his career and yeah, three times in the last four years. And trying to to make it a fourth. I think this one will be a little bit tougher, but I'm talking to someone right now in you, Zach Meisel, that is going to have an American League MVP vote. And so I, now I am curious, as the season is winding down, how your thought process is evolving. Because everyone for a very long time has said it's going to be Shohei Otani. And it's probably still the case because the guy is almost near five wins as a hitter and is nearing three wins as a pitcher. And he's got, if you tie those two together, pretty much a one-win lead at Fangraphs over the next highest guy, which is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So my question isn't, would you vote for Shohei Otani? Because eh, you got to be a little bit cautious in what you reveal. I don't want you to get your vote taken away. But my thought is, what does Vladimir Guerrero have to do? How close does he have to get before this guy? becomes a, a debate in your mind does he pitch <laughs> not yet with the way the blue jays have played i don't think they need him to at this point yeah I, it's really tough because in any other season i think guerrero has a slam dunk mvp case i mean looking at his his numbers are so impressive and it's not just i mean the home runs he and otani are tied with 44 for the league lead but i mean the average is there the on-base percentage is there the slugging percentage is there but the, the most remarkable thing to me, because you don't see this a lot from elite hitters like that with such a big swing and that powerful stroke, he doesn't strike out a ton. You know, his walk rate's 12.5%, his strikeout rate's 16%. I mean, that's that's pretty close to Jose Ramirez, who's at 11 and 14. And we all marvel at Ramirez's ability to, to make contact and not give in on pitchers when they're trying to fool him. So... He, he's just he's his season is just incredible, but Otani is just otherworldly. Like I, I mean, they're they're Otani. It would be different to me. I don't know if there's anything Guerrero could do. I think it would be more of what Otani doesn't do. Like if his offense, I know I think he's been in a slump a little bit lately, and if if that continued at a pretty severe rate, and then maybe he got lit up on the mound for a little bit. Like maybe this is more of a conversation. Um. 
But like Otani's been the second best hitter in the American League behind Guerrero. And then he's also been a really good pitcher. I mean, that's just I, how do you yeah. How do you not go that way? Yeah, it's because Vladimir Guerrero in any other year, as you put it, I mean, he, he's he's been absolutely bananas offensively this year. And he's got a outside shot to finish close to, if not reach, 50 home runs. And that's extremely impressive. The unfortunate thing, well, not really unfortunate, but as far as MVP candidates go, the unfortunate thing for him is his teammate Marcus Semien is right there. And maybe he takes some Toronto votes away from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But those two have been really good. And, and Semyon, uh, kind of like Ramirez, being the entire package with 15 steals, you're going to get more value from a guy that's playing the middle infield compared to someone that's playing even a really good first base. But this voting, I will say it at least is a lot more interesting than when it was maybe even a, as recently as a month ago. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. It's just, to me, it's like, it's what Otani, we've never seen it before. That hasn't changed. It's it's the fact that he's doing this. He's been the second best hitter in the American League while also. He's an above average pitcher, for sure. Yeah, but but he's, think about the workload, Yeah, right? I mean, a pitcher has so much shit to do between every start (laughs) where you're. We've talked about it. You know, you've got to obsess over the scouting report. You got to throw your bullpens. You got to play catch and do your side stuff. And um, Zach P- Zach Plesac was talking about it the other day, where he was he, said, he was talking about how he thinks his fastball velocity was down on Sunday because or Saturday because he had an extra day between starts, and instead of just relaxing on that extra day, he did all this other stuff and did Pilates and um, I don't know. You do all that stuff, but then you're also batting four times a night and studying (laughs) opposing pitchers tendencies. And it's just that that's the thing that gets me is that he has so much more on his plate than everybody else. And it's not to take away from everybody else because I think, I think people look at baseball players like, Oh, you just have to like stand up there and swing a stick four times a day. Like that's the easiest (laughs) job in the world. And it's like, no, they actually do a ton of prep work for their jobs. Um, yeah, I heard Otani, someone making the point just... about Salvador Perez getting to DH a lot this year, and they said, oh, well, at least they got to mix in those off days for him from behind the plate. <laughs> I'm thinking, the dude's still DHing and going up there four to five times a night, so and I don't really know that people realize it's pretty impressive. Yeah, like, Framil Reyes spends every game in the batting cages. Like that DHs don't just sit there and then it's up oh, i'm in the hole okay let me grab my helmet and my bat no it's put down my ice cream sundae here and go hit <laughs> yeah so so it's just it's everything that otani has on his plate and then the pressure of it too because he is this marvel that we've never seen before that's what's so impressive to me and that's why by the way he has 23 stolen bases I mean, that's another thing does this guy have a weakness in his game um, so I can overlook the, the strikeout rate. That's almost twice what Guerrero's is. Uh, I can overlook the, the lower batting average and the lower on base percentage. It's just, he's, he's been incredible and he has very few, if any weaknesses, and that's as a pitcher and a hitter. And it's just credit to Guerrero credit to the other guys who are going to finish up there somewhere on the ballot. But I mean, I, I, I think there's. We spend so much time talking about, okay, well, are you judging this based on their war? 
Are you looking at WRC plus? Are you just looking at the slash lines? Like, how are you evaluating this? There is something to say about just some unquantifiable intangible um, that Otani has just based on everything that falls under his, you know, responsibility this season. Um, yeah. The fact that he's able to excel at such a high rate, despite everything he has to do is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And I don't, it should, it should never come down to one number to define who wins MVP, right? It shouldn't be the war award. Maybe they should hand one of those out, but that shouldn't just be MVP because it's as ex- exact of a science it has become. It's still inexact. You know, there's still room on the margins where we can't quite capture every piece of value. And even as you go back through over the years, you know, things maybe were weighted differently or you learn that this is more important or you're able to better capture certain things. And so over time, maybe somebody's value changes and if you're too tied to just, well, that guy was leading in war over at Fangraphs, so he should be the MVP. No, not always. So I think that's a great starting point. And for Shohei Otani, it may be an ending point because just overall, the, the total value between the hitter and pitcher is, I mean, it's it's incredible um, and makes it really tough for anyone to chase him down. But I, I do think we should look into this and, and be sure that it is the the right call here. And I'm curious. If anybody, it's silly to do this in my mind, unless you're so close that you're just looking for something to break a tie. I'm curious if any voters look at what the Blue Jays are doing. Maybe they make the the playoffs as a wild card and weight that more than what happened with L.A. I think that's silly, but I'm not ruling out that as a possibility for to change somebody's mind in this voting. Yeah. Uh, is there anyone else? Where do you think Jose Ramirez falls it's a great question because i i by the I way was gonna I, ask is i was gonna ask is there anyone else who can even threaten yeah, those two but there's not no, and so no. in that second tier where does ramirez fall do you think real quick shohei otani leading also in win probability added not that that's a surprise so if you're looking to capture the context in which these things happen that was also uh, part of his production thus far this year yeah i don't How know does he not get tired i don't get that <laughs> i don't know I don't know. See, I t- I'm telling you, I'm not afraid to tell you what I don't know. The answer is I don't know. I, I think Ramirez at this point, I feel like fourth or fifth, but probably closer to fifth at this point. And, I, and I, okay, so let's just say for me, Shohei number one, Vladdy number two, and probably Semyon three. But I want to get, I mean, Cedric Mullins for the season he's had with Baltimore deserves mm-hmm. a ton of love. And it's a. Sh- I would love to see him finish as a finalist because that would be a tremendous story for someone that was so far off the radar for a number of people and then has been one of the best players unquestionably in the American League this year. So I, I think that's probably my top four. And then it comes down to, I don't know, Ramirez or Correa. That's, that's almost a toss-up to me. What about Judge? Judge, too. I, I mean, when, once you're Either capturing... Boston guys, Bogarts or Devers? Once you're capturing... What Ramirez is also doing on the bases, creating runs there, I think he probably gets the slight edge over Correa because Correa just doesn't steal bases. So I, w- I would say probably Ramirez fifth, and then Correa, Judge Devers. Teoscar Hernandez. Blue Jays lineup is just unbelievable. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't reveal... It helps when you play Baltimore, apparently, all that all the time. <laughs> 
but it's it's going to be interesting. I think the there are a lot of candidates for those three through ten spots, and uh, I mean we've seen it. Like Jose Ramirez got scorching hot the last couple of weeks last sure. season. I know it was only a sixty game season, so that skewed the stats more. But he worked his way into the into the finals that way. And I'm not saying uh, it has to matter, but he just seems like he took it upon himself that he wanted to steal 30 bases this year. Cause he just mm-hmm. ramped up the steals recently. He's still seven away. So that would take quite a well, final like, few weeks. You know, Miles straw, when he got traded to Cleveland, he said that he heard from other people, Michael Brantley included that Sandy Alomar is a cheat code over at first base. And ever since straw came to Cleveland, this team has been running amok and they don't get caught. What are that? 35 consecutive stolen bases without being caught. Yeah. Now, you have to have base runners to steal bases. So those 35 stolen bases. Yeah. I mean, you, we say we don't uh, know how much credit to give to assistance, but in this case, it's over so many years. I'm going to give some credits to the, some credit to the assistant, namely Sandy Alomar for whatever he notices and points out and helps them see as, as base runners clearly works. Yeah. And it's just not, it's not just Ramirez. It's been all those guys. I mean, Bradley Zimmer and, Ahmed Rosario, they have like their their stolen base success rate is crazy. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I was looking at it yesterday, but well, how about Straw? I mean, he says he's a cheat code. He stole 17 bases, was caught five times with Houston before he came over here in 98 games. With Cleveland, he's stolen 10 bases, hasn't been caught a single time. Yeah. Well. So you take guys with the tools to do it and you pair him with Sandy Alomar, and that definitely works. And they have, and this is a way for the offense to be successful. As I look, they rank fourth in the majors with 96 stolen bases, but they've only been caught 13 times, and that 88% success rate is uh, far and away the best. Yeah, we need to do something major. to generate offense when you're not getting any hits. That would right. be a problem. <laughs> What's crazy is they 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 have 13. They've been caught 13 times, which is the lowest in the league is 12. So if you rank um, near the top in terms of Fewest caught stealings. Does that make sense? I might have just used like a triple negative. Um, and then you rank fourth in stolen bases. That's that's a good way to go. Right, and so- extra base taken percentage. Sorry, I just I have the base running stats in front of me now. You know, going from first to third, scoring from first on a double, that sort of thing. Extra base taken percentage. They also rank fourth in the majors in that. So it's something they've done well over the years anyway. But now you have a faster team, especially at the top of the order. And even the, I mean, Owen Miller and Harold Ramirez and Bradley Zimmer, those guys are, Oscar Mercado, those guys are fast too. So a lot of speed. They have one thing going for them. Fondo's got some steals this year. He does, I think four. Unbelievable. So what have we learned from today's show? Well, fire Ty Van Berkeley. was number one. Second, no hitters actually good. (laughs) Third, Sandy Alomar is uh, really good. Over there at first base. Any anything else like I missed? I didn't capture. Shout out to a longtime listener, Len, who asked for a beer on Saturday night, and I was happy to oblige. And then he thankfully picked up on the vibe in the room <laughs> before I said anything. As Corbin Burns was on his way to the no hitter, and he said, "You know what? Maybe I'll take a ring check on that. You're probably a little bit busy." So. Uh, We thank you for your support over on Patreon and your five-star reviews. Thanks for listening. Bye.